already read Mark chapter 8, verse number 34. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Most of us here this morning are probably familiar with this passage. But when Jesus talks about taking up a cross, what does he mean by that? Let's consider just a couple of things to begin with by way of introduction. First of all, there is the startling honesty of Jesus. He doesn't just bribe us here with an offer of an easy life if we're going to be his followers. And that stands out in sharp contrast to a lot of the popular preaching that you hear on television today, a lot of the books that you find if you go down to Barnes & Noble or somewhere else and just check out the section on Christianity, or even the conception that a lot of people out in the world seem to have about being a follower of Jesus. That is, that now you're going to be blessed. Everything's going to come up roses. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and it's all going to be sunshine and daisies from here on out. That's not what Jesus says. It's not an easy road. Some of you who are history buffs might remember that not long after the outset of World War II, when Winston Churchill was appointed as Prime Minister of Great Britain, in his first address to the House of Commons, he said to the people that all he had to offer was blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Well, that's very much like what Jesus says here. That's what he's offering to his followers. We ought to note here, secondly, Jesus never calls us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. So when he calls us to take up the cross, it's because he's already borne a cross for us. What he asks us to face, he's already faced. And that stands in sharp contrast to what the world wants to teach us. That is that if anything's difficult, if anything's hard, well, we, we want to avoid that. We don't want to do that, right? And unfortunately, I feel like there's some churches who have even bought into that message. And yet the words of Jesus are still here. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does that mean? What does it mean to take up a cross or to bear a cross? What does Scripture have to teach us about cross-bearing? Well, first of all, let's note that cross-bearing is voluntary. Jesus calls us. Jesus challenges us. But whether or not we take up the cross is a choice that we make. And it's something that we do intentionally. That's important for us to keep in mind because I, I'm afraid that a lot of our talk about bearing a cross is pretty casual. For example, let's say you go to the doctor 
and he runs a battery of tests on you. And after doing that, he comes in and he says, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but you have diabetes. You're going to have to live with that for the rest of your life. And so that means you're going to have to take certain medications or insulin. You're going to have to moderate your diet. You're going to have to monitor your blood sugar. Now that's unfortunate. That's not something that any of us want to deal with. But I can't say when I talk about my diabetes, then, well, that's just my cross to bear. No. That's not something I chose to do. That's not something I volunteered for. It's not something I offered to do for Jesus. Or let's say all of you know this better than I do. A hurricane comes through in this area. It can happen. And it destroys your home. Now that's a tragedy. That's terrible. But that's not my cross to bear. It's not something that I volunteered to do for Jesus. So when we talk about taking up the cross, what we're talking about is a conscious decision, something we approach intentionally, something that we're doing on behalf of the Lord. I'm going to enlist. I'm going to offer myself in in some way, in some sense, to serve him. Cross-bearing isn't an accident that happens to us. It's not something that's just thrust upon us. It's something that we choose to do. But we might wonder then, why in the world would anyone choose that? (laughs) Why make a decision to take up the cross? That brings us to the fact that cross-bearing is a decision that we make out of love. It's love that prompts us to carry the cross, a task that we undertake, a price that we're willing to pay because we love God. For Jesus, it meant going to the cross in the first place because of the great love that he had for humanity. And I think about what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, and this whole chapter has to do with the sacrifice that Jesus makes. But he says there that Jesus demonstrated his love not by dying for his friends, but by dying for his enemies. He died for the ungodly. So by extension, that means for us, if we're taking up the cross, we're reaching out to people who may be unlovable, people who may be unlovely people who might not ever even return that love that we're demonstrating to them and yet we do that and we keep on doing that because that's precisely what Jesus did for us in taking up his cross in the first place I think about that great chapter on love 1st Corinthians chapter 13 You want to read a description of what it means to carry the cross, to take up your cross, thinking about how it's connected to the love that we're to have for God and for others? Listen as I begin reading here in verse number four, and I'm going to change the word love to cross-bearer. A cross-bearer is patient and kind. A cross-bearer does not envy or boast. A cross-bearer is not arrogant or rude. 
A cross-bearer is not self-seeking. A cross-bearer is not irritable or resentful. A cross-bearer doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. A cross-bearer always endures, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I really like the way, I've always liked the way that the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this in his work, The Cost of Discipleship. And I'm going to read this quote to you at length, but I, I want you to pay attention to the words here. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It's that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. And as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus, it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our union with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world, but it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That is what cross-bearing means. It means the death of self, giving up all of our selfish ambition, all of our pride, all of our service of self in order to serve God fully and completely. It means taking the love of God out across the street, across the state, across the country, across the world, wherever it may be, touching the lives of those who, as we said, may be unlovable themselves. It means self-denying. It means self-sacrifice. It means paying the price regardless of the hardships that we have to endure. We must be willing to surrender all that we have, all that we are, our very selves, if we're going to follow Jesus. Understandably, people have always had trouble with that. Taking up the cross is difficult. It's hard. And whenever the message of the cross is preached, people object. Well, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for that. Is this what it's all about? I, I don't want any part of that. That's not what we think Christianity is in a lot of cases. Jesus talked about his impending death, and you remember his apostles balked at it. He told them that to do the work of the Messiah, he had to go down to Jerusalem. He'd suffer at the hands of the Jewish leadership, and he'd be killed. They didn't want him to go. They said, that's never going to happen to you, Lord. They didn't want him to die. And when, as he predicted, he did die on the cross... They hid behind locked doors, fearful 
of what would happen to them because they weren't ready to take up the cross themselves. When Paul wrote about the cross in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, he says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know, not much has changed since Paul penned those words. We can understand why the Jews might have stumbled over the idea of their Messiah hanging on a cross, being condemned to death. They were an oppressed people. They'd been conquered and oppressed by, well, let's see, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, now the Romans, all in turn. And the one thing that sustained them over all of those long years, centuries of time, was looking forward to the Messiah. Fathers would tell their children that one day Messiah is going to come, and he's going to be a great and mighty king. He's going to ride in on a war horse. He's going to be at the head of a tremendous army. And when he comes, he's going to throw off the invaders. He's going to make them bow down to us. God's people are going to be in control. And then the Messiah did come. But not at all like they expected. Instead of a, a mighty warlord, he was an itinerant preacher from Nazareth. Some people said he was a madman. And instead of being at the head of a great army, he had a dozen men who followed him around. A handful of fishermen, tax collector, a fanatic. And the end of his life didn't result in, in triumphantly throwing out the conquerors. They just oppressed him too. They condemned him to death on a cross. It's easy to see then why that would be a stumbling block to Jews. It defied every preconception that they had. To the Greeks, Paul said it was foolishness. Now, Greeks, if you go back and search their mythology, but if you even look at some of their philosophers, they didn't have any problem with the concept of a God who intervened in the world. But a God who would allow himself to suffer and be killed? What sort of God is that? Who would want to follow a God like that? It's absolutely ludicrous. See, it wasn't what anyone wanted to hear. And frankly, that's not what anyone wants to hear today either. Jesus' talk about bearing a cross bothers us too. We sit here in our comfortable 21st century homes with a hot cup of coffee in our hand and our loving companion at our side and we reflect and rejoice on everything that we've accomplished in our lives and the Lord's words come back to us. Take up your cross and follow me. I have some lost sheep. They need to be gathered up and brought home. I need a shepherd to go and to reach out to them. And we say, Lord, that's... It's not really the type of cross that I had in mind. 
I'm really busy. I'm really comfortable here, and I really need more time for myself. Or he says, I need you to go and to reach out and to minister to those who are poor and who are suffering and who are hurting. Minister to those needy ones. And we say, well, Lord, I can't do that. I barely have enough to provide for myself and my family. Or else we say, are you sure that those people, they're from the wrong side of the tracks. You know the type of sins that they're engaged in? Are those really the ones that we want to bring in to the church? You see, everywhere, all around us, Jesus is setting down crosses, waiting for us to take them up. Someone says, missionaries need funds to go and to spread the gospel to the furthest reaches of the world. And again, we're just not ready to take up that challenge. Whatever it may be, we can go on and on with examples. In our own lives, we find ourselves wrestling with the cross. They're there to take up, and we're not ready to do it. Over here are all the things that we want. And over here are the needs of a lost and dying world. And Jesus gives that challenge to us. His words come back to haunt us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. That idea of carrying a cross is a stumbling block to us. And we fall over it. And we keep falling over it over and over and over again. We're concerned with saving our lives rather than giving up everything that we have to the gospel. Losing ourselves in Jesus Christ. But what if it weren't like that? What if we really had the courage to take up the cross, to carry out Jesus' challenge here? What if we really could turn the other cheek, go the second mile? What if we really could love our enemies? We're so focused on our own lives and our success and our career and stockpiling our possessions and the little bit of relaxation that we want. Me, 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 me. But one day, it's all going to disappear, vanish. It's going to be burned up. It's going to count for nothing. The only thing that will count is whether or not we were willing to take up the cross. What would happen, what could happen, if we were willing to do that? Telemachus was an early Christian who flourished in the latter part of the 4th century. All we know about him comes from a Christian historian who wrote about 50 years after his death. He was a, like a lot of young people. He was a wild and unruly youth. He'd rejected God. He tried to find meaning in all the pleasures of the world. But one day he became obedient to the gospel. He became a Christian. And not long after that, he decided to enter a monastery. But after a time there, he arose from his prayers one day and he decided that if he was really going to love and to serve God, he couldn't hide behind the walls of that monastery. 
He needed to serve humanity. He needed to go out and carry the gospel of Christ into the world. And so he decided to go to Rome, which was the capital of civilization still in its day there in the fourth century. Now by this time, those terrible persecutions of the first three centuries were over. Christianity had won. And not only was it legally tolerated, it actually was the official state religion. The emperor was a Christian. It was the cult of the government. It had suddenly become politically correct to be a Christian. If you wanted to advance, if you wanted to be popular, if you wanted to be in favor, you'd be a Christian. That reminds us that winning presents its own unique set of challenges. See, when Christians were a persecuted minority, it cost something to be a Christian. It required real commitment. You had to take up your cross in a very literal sense quite often. But now, because everybody was doing it, even the emperor, there were a good many people who professed to be Christians who never really had been converted. Well, when Telemachus arrived in Rome, he found himself in the middle of a great crowd, and they were all headed one place in particular. He didn't know where, but he just went along and followed along after them. And pretty soon he found himself in the middle of the Colosseum. He learned that the Romans had just won a great victory over the Goths and that the emperor had declared games in celebration of that. Now remember, Rome is by this time a supposedly Christian city. But those bloody gladiatorial contests still lingered. Men killing other men for whom Christ had died. All for the amusement of the crowd. Well, when he realized what was going on from his seat there, Telemachus cried out, in the name of Christ, stop! No one heard him. So in an impetuous moment, he leapt down out of the stands, down into the floor of the arena, and he thrust himself right in between a couple of the gladiators, and he said, in the name of Christ, stop! Nobody really knew what was going on. A lot of the people in the crowd thought that he was a, a clown, part of the entertainment. Finally, there was some jeering, get that guy out of here. Let the games go on. So they pushed him aside, and they tried to start fighting again, and yet again, he put himself in between them. In the name of Christ, stop! The crowd started to pelt him with stones. The commander of the games gave an order. A sword rose, and it fell. And Telemachus lay there dead on the Colosseum floor. And then a curious thing happened. The entire crowd that just a moment before had been crying out for blood was shocked to silence. To see this man of God there dead in the arena. And according to one version of the story, one by one, every person in the Colosseum 
left in silence that day. Not long after, the Emperor Honorius issued a proclamation outlawing the gladiator games forever. Never again would men kill one another for the amusement of the crown. Edward Gibbon, the great Roman historian, wrote of him, His death was more useful to mankind than his life. All of those far-reaching consequences. Because one single, solitary man had the courage to take up the cross. This morning, Jesus offers you a cross. Not a life of ease. Not a church that's perfect and is going to provide all the solutions to your problems. He doesn't promise that you're going to have success in your career. He doesn't guarantee that your marriage won't fail. He doesn't tell, tell you that He can fix all your problems in your home and in your family but he does offer you the opportunity to take up your cross and to follow after him, to give yourself up in love and in service and in submission and in sacrifice to the needs of this world, to become a Christian and to become a subject of his kingdom and to live a very different kind of life, one that's not characterized by what the world values, but by what God values and what Jesus himself modeled in his death. And we have then, if we take up that challenge, the promise of an eternal home with him in heaven because he's already borne the cross for us. If you're here this morning and that challenge sounds appealing to you, then I want to urge you not to delay but to tr put your trust in Jesus and to turn to God in repentance and to be buried with the Lord in baptism. Have your sins washed away. Take up that cross and begin to follow Him today. Maybe you're here this morning and you already are a Christian, but like so many of us from time to time, we've been focused on our own needs and our own wants, and we haven't risen to that challenge that Jesus puts before us. If that applies to you, and if you need to make changes in a public way this morning, it's the Lord's invitation while we stand and while we sing.